Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, A Desert Experience, with a message titled, Can You Trust God? So let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 to 12, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he taught them to say, give us this day our daily bread. And I know from my perspective, I would have been just a bit happier if he had taught us to pray, give us this year our daily bread, or perhaps even, you know, give me enough supply of bread to last out the decade. But our God knows that we won't learn the life of faith unless we look to him daily. You know, so often in life, we face issues that we can't solve. And then daily, we're going to be required to look to him. And Jesus taught us about that in Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, when that troublesome day arrives, we'll have to look to God. And yes, that's the same God that clothes the field with grass and feeds the birds of the air. You know, one of the reasons why it's so hard for the rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven is because the rich are accustomed to caring for themselves out of their abundance. They don't need to cry out to God in their hunger or in their thirst. And so they begin to sometimes unwittingly gain a contempt for the life of faith. But sometimes, even among the poor, there's also a danger. I mean, facing need and seeing no resources on the horizon, they're in danger of falling into despair rather than falling into the gracious hands of a caring and compassionate God. Now, we've been following the people of Israel as they move from the Red Sea to Mount Sinai. They're on the way to the promised land, but before they can get there, they have so many lessons to learn, and they're all faith lessons. And as we've seen, they're failing. You know, they failed to trust God when the Egyptian charioteers came against them. God drowned them in the Red Sea. And then they failed again when in the hot desert, they're out of water and the danger of dehydration is great. At that time, the only water available was undrinkable. God was gracious and he provided a miracle. So the undrinkable water became good water. And then we came to Exodus 15:27. And they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. So Elam was a desert oasis. And in Numbers chapter 33, it's a chapter that recounts all of the journeys of Israel. It mentions that important place. You see, there we find out that God was really leading them. He'd not let his people perish of thirst in the desert. Israel had to remember that God was not leading them into this very hot and unforgiving desert in order to kill them. He was teaching them the life of faith. He was making them into a nation. He was going to teach them his righteous laws. And they needed to build a tabernacle and be taught about how to worship their holy God. So many lessons needed to be learned. But God was determined to teach them, for they'd never be the holy people of God if they didn't learn. So today we get to Exodus chapter 16 and we find, you know, the lesson of daily trust in God's provision. It's a lesson that they hadn't yet learned. Indeed, the people of Israel seem to have suffered from a complete lack of comprehension. Had the past events meant nothing? Well, apparently not. So I'm reading Exodus 16, 1 to 3. They set out from Elam and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. 
And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. This is fascinating. I mean, first they thought Moses brought them out to the wilderness to kill them by the hand of the army of Egypt. And now second, you know, they must have thought, well, Moses brought us out to here to kill us by thirst. And now this. But let's back up. You know, Elam, the place of refuge, the place where water was in abundance, the place where, you know, shade from the heat could be found, Elam was not the promised land. It was God's gracious provision for the moment. It was a place of rest and refreshment, something that they needed, but it was time to carry on. And now from the oasis into the hostile wilderness. You know, our text calls this the wilderness of sin. And if you go back to Exodus 15:22, I mean, right after they left the Red Sea, they had entered the wilderness of Shur. That's where they ran out of water. Well, we simply don't know where these locations are, but I make a point of it because when they leave Elam, they go from there, not back to the wilderness of Shur, but to another wilderness, no doubt just as unforgiving as the last. And even though God had cared for them in the last wilderness, they had to ask themselves, will he care for them in this one? And that's the question, isn't it? When we're in a new location, but the troubles we face remind us of the troubles of the past, and the things don't seem to get any better, what do we do? And by this time, it's been some time since they've come out of Egypt. The food they brought with them is gone. The sheep had, no doubt, been able to survive by eating those small tufts of vegetation in the desert. Now, I witnessed this when I was in the nation of Jordan. I was watching shepherds take goats and sheep to places. I thought they'd starve to death, but they did find enough to eat. But human beings can't. And if they were to start eating their livestock, they'd, they'd surely have a very short future. And so now it's not thirst, it's hunger. And whatever traveling nomads there might have been in this area, they would have been few. And the food that could have been purchased, that was very little. And recognizing once again that they're in a place of desperation, the anger against Moses boils over. Wouldn't it have been better to live and die in slavery in Egypt? I mean, there, in spite of our hardships, we were never short of food. So let's think about that for a moment. You know, there are those, as Jesus taught in Matthew 13, 44, who would, for the joy of finding a treasure of infinite worth, they'd gladly sell everything they have, buy the field that holds the treasure. Or to put it in terms of Exodus, there are those who would gladly give up the meat pots of Egypt so that they might inherit the promised land. And then, on the other hand, there are those who hear of the promised land and they say, look, I haven't seen it yet. In the meantime, what's in the meat pot? Oh dear, it looks empty. And so we see the people turn on Moses in wrath. A people who doesn't know the life of faith look for someone to blame rather than looking for God to deliver them. And as we're going to find many times when we study Israel in the wilderness, God continues to be gracious to this people who are devoid of faith. So Exodus 16, 4 and 5. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So notice several things. The bread doesn't come from the produce of the wilderness, so that people would never forget who it was that fed them. 
So stop here for a moment and remember why it is, like if you grew up in a Christian home, that before you ate whatever was in front of you, your family bowed their heads to God and they gave thanks. And that's because we were never to forget that even though we might have a job and an income so that we have the money to purchase food, that food is grown on the earth or comes from animals that God has graciously provided. This food has its origin in the creator of all things. Remember that as we pray. That's why we pray. Now here in Exodus, this food from heaven, this would become Israel's daily provision until they actually enter the promised land. And God was also determined that they'd only be fed every single day. So why? Well, our text tells us why. God was going to test Israel. He was going to see if they would walk in his laws. You know, this was, if you will, a very small test. How big of a test would it be? Gather as much bread as you need. Don't gather any more than what you need for that day. And then on Friday, gather in bread for two days because on the next day, Saturday, it's going to be the Lord's Sabbath. That's the test. Can you trust God every single day, believing that this provision will be there the next day? Can you resist hoarding this stuff? Can you simply await God with an outstretched hand every single day? Because if you can, you're going to learn the life of faith so that when the harder tests come later, you're going to have a footing upon which to stand. I hope you can see the dilemma. On the one hand, this is not the meat pots of Egypt about which we spoke earlier. But on the other hand, this is perfect. It's the foundation upon which they could build a life of faith. You know, later in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 to 3, Moses would explain even further what God had been up to. And you shall remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that a man does not live by bread alone, but a man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus has entrusted his followers with the sacred mission to make disciples of all nations. Together we share this duty to shepherd the millions of lost souls to the saving truths found in God's word. But in order to effectively disciple hearts into a dynamic relationship with the Lord, we need to be well equipped to evangelize the unsaved. It's not just about knowing how to share our faith, but being ready to share it when the opportunity comes. This is why Back to the Bible Canada is pleased to offer a booklet called Before You Share Your Faith by Matt Smethurst. This resource guides us through five crucial elements that will give us the tools to be evangelism ready. So request your free copy today by calling us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us at backtothebible.ca. a word for us. We don't live by bread alone or by the things we can accumulate on this earth. We live every day by God's words, his promises, and his commands, trusting in them. They're our life. Believing God that every day his promises will be kept, and then the following day trusting him again. That's the lesson from the manna. And Moses is determined that this lesson be remembered. 
So let's continue to read our text. It's Exodus 16, verses 6 to 8. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Now we have to remember that when Israel came out of Egypt, that yes, the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would have been remembered at least to some degree. But they also lived as slaves, and their slave masters believed in the gods of the sun and the moon and the stars and the gods of the Nile, gods of the crocodiles, you know, the gods of the frogs. Each god had a different function. And your job in Egypt was to make sure that you're appealing the right God for the thing that you needed. But here Moses and Aaron want to rid these people of these futile belief structures. Who brought you out of Egypt? Who are you to believe in? In whom will you trust? And when the plagues came upon Egypt, the repeated words that God gave were these, so that you will know that I am the Lord. In other words, God was not just going to humble Egypt and deliver Israel. It was essential that both Egypt and Israel should know that he is the Lord who had done these things. And so when the manna came, it was important, not just that they ate to their heart's content, but that they should never be in doubt about who has done this. Have the gods of the nations done this? Israel should know the answer to that. Indeed, it should have been a reflexive answer. Yahweh has done it. Indeed, there should have been more than simply identifying that Yahweh did it. But they should also know that nothing is too hard for God. When you cry out to God because there's no water or because there's no food, you should know that your God has an abundant provision. And furthermore, he cares for his own. Look again at verse 6. You shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And that might seem obvious to us, that is, when we read this text so many years later, but it wasn't obvious to this people group. Look ahead to Exodus 32 and the incident of the golden calf. And I find this significant, you know, because the first time I had the opportunity to to visit Egypt, I then visited the very famous museum in Cairo. And I remember staring at a golden calf that had been found by archaeologists. It was a calf idol an Egyptian deity. Think of it. Exodus 32, Moses is on the mountain. He's receiving the tablets of the law, and he's communing with God. It's now been some time, and the people are nervous. I mean, where is he? Is he ever coming down? Are we now on our own? I mean, we must be. Time to take matters into our own hands. And so they build a golden calf taken from all the gold that they have plundered when they left Egypt, And the calf idol is exactly what they were accustomed to when they lived in Egypt. They'd all seen that kind of an idol before. And then in Exodus 32, verse 4, they say, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. No, it's not the invisible God, the one Yahweh, that one who frightens us so much. No, no, we'll give credit to the calf idol. Back to Exodus 16. And that had not yet happened. But God knew that it would, and he also knew the idolatrous hearts of these people. The minute there was trouble or a concern or even an uncertainty, they would revert back to what they knew, the idols of their past. And so if these people had not seen enough signs in the past, but clearly it wasn't enough, 
And so in verse 6, in that evening, that very evening, they will know that it was Yahweh, not some other God, that brought them out of Egypt. And then verse 7, the following morning, they're going to see the glory of Yahweh. And then not only should the events of the next several hours convince them, but God then adds that he knows with a great deal of certainty what their problem is. Moses, acting as a prophet, says, you have been grumbling against God. And that's serious. See, when we grumble against God, we're saying, God, you've messed things up. And because of that, we don't think we can trust you. And by the way, that is what grumbling is. I mean, you think about it. Whenever you grumble, you're telling God, who ordains all things according to the counsel of his will, that his ordination leaves a lot to be desired. You, when you grumble, believe that you, a mere human being, can show God how better to govern the universe and how to govern your life. You believe that if God could only listen to you, you'd be an excellent counselor for God. And that's arrogance. I mean, what words? Words that could only come from the mouth of a fool. But the Israelites might have responded that they weren't grumbling against God. No, no, we're grumbling against Moses, they would have said. And Moses is ready for that response. He says, who are we that you should grumble against us? He says, you're not grumbling against us. You're grumbling against God, for God has put Aaron and myself into leadership. Now then, since God is interested in creating faith in a faithless people, there's something that they must now witness. They have grumbled saying, we used to eat meat in Egypt. So do they think that God's unable to give them what they need? And so they're going to be given one more reason to believe and one more reason to trust God in the time of crisis. Let's go to our next section in Exodus. It's chapter 69 to 12. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Now, we might wonder, as we read this account, what is meant by the statement, come before the Lord? Now, in order to understand that, let's go back to Exodus 13, 21 and 22. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. And so every night, there's a great column, if you will, a glow with fire. And when the sun arises, the fire disappears, but the column doesn't. It simply appears as the most unusual cloud. You know, I assume it resembles a great column, kind of like, you know, the column of a great ancient temple going from heaven to earth. And so the words come near the Lord, well, those words must have meant that the community was to do something they hadn't done so far. They're to come close to the cloud. And as the great company goes near, as is safely possible, suddenly the glory of God appears in the column. That doesn't mean they saw God. I mean, God is spirit. They can't view him like a large man or like so many of the idols that they were familiar with. Rather, they view him, and I have to assume here, in some kind of a display of blinding light that would have overwhelmed the people. They would have known their creator was right there in their midst. And it's there as God displays his presence that he makes a pronouncement to Moses, and Moses relays it to the people. When the sun sets today, all of you are going to be eating meat, every one of you. There'll be enough meat for every single table, 
all two million of you. And then in the morning, there will again be enough bread for every table, no shortage of food, nor will there be a shortage of knowing that God is able to do everything he wishes. All of this is so that you might believe. Now, reading this passage, you know, I have often heard believers say, I wish that could happen in my life. You know, that God's glory would appear before me and then a miracle that would meet my daily needs. And in this way, it would be so much easier to believe in the provision of God. But as we're going to see, even this didn't satisfy Israel. And here's the secret. It wouldn't have satisfied us either. If we're constantly craving the latest miracle, we'll never be satisfied and we'll never truly believe. You know, Jesus dealt with that very same problem. John chapter 6 tells us about it. There Jesus has just fed 5,000 people with five barley loaves and two fish. You know, elements were simply multiplying in his hands until everybody had enough to eat. And what did they say? In response to what Jesus did the very next day, They asked Jesus, what miracle will he do so that they might believe in him? Oh, my goodness. Even in the time of Moses, after 40 years of daily provision of manna, they still didn't believe. See, we need to go beyond the bread to see the one who provides the bread. That and only that can lead to a lasting faith that will be enough. Thanks, John. You know... I'm sure one of the things that come to mind when we think about the Israelite struggle with faithfulness to God is the question with all that God did, the miracles that they were firsthand recipients of, how could they so easily forget? Yeah, and uh, it's not just them, is it, Ben? It's us too. Uh, We so easily forget. And, uh, you know, again, the thing is that we need to remind ourselves what what God has done. Um, You know, you have to think about Israel and all the miracles that they had already seen. So I think, Ben, as I think about this text, that complaining probably is the first example in any of our lives in which we're saying, I'm forgetting what God has done. I'm complaining about my circumstances rather than joyfully anticipating that the great God who has delivered me in the past will deliver me in the future. And I'm simply, you know, anticipating now, how is God going to do that? Uh, Instead of that reaction, we often complain. So complaining should be a signal that we have forgotten and that we need to start remembering all over again. Thanks so much, John. Remember to join us again tomorrow right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Have you ever wanted to spend time in fellowship with Back to the Bible Canada's Dr. John Newfeld, Laugh Again's Phil Calloway, or even the leadership team behind them? Well, this is your chance. We invite you to join us on a cruise from April 5th to the 14th of 2024. Kicking off in Miami, we'll sail through several stunning locations within the Caribbean. The beautiful scenery combined with the Bible teaching of Dr. John, spiritual encouragement of Laugh Again's Phil Calloway, and feature musical guests is a recipe for the vacation of a lifetime. This is a time to be refreshed on so many levels. So for more information, to download the itinerary, visit backtothebible.ca, call us at 1-800-663-2425, and please note that with all ministry travel events, no ministry funds are spent. All related costs are covered 
by participants.